Kinnock, how are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? It's been a I'm while. I'm good. I know. Welcome to the Christina Talks podcast. Thank you. We got there in the end. It's literally like I've, I've spent the last couple of weeks flying by the seat of the pants and it's been uh, diary management. It's become like planning a military operation, really. Good to know you're busy. Good to know you're busy. But mm. with, with all the wonderful stuff I know you've been getting up to, um, not surprising. Yeah. Not surprising at all. What's going on? So... You are Mr. Dale Pinnock, author of about a million books, many of which are Sunday Times bestsellers. You are the medicinal chef. Yes. TV star. <laughs> what, what do people not know about you? Um, I used to play bongos. <laughs> Maybe that's a little, <laughs> little nugget of information. I think, I think every, everything else is pretty much out there in the open. So, uh, yeah, in the arena. Wow. I mean, you've had a, um, a pretty amazing career, really, haven't you? When you think about what you've... Because how long have you been in the world of nutrition? Like 30 years in various guises and various different levels. Um, got into it, yeah, in the, in, in, in the early 90s. When you kind of think that's 30 years ago, that's kind of scary. It is. I suddenly feel really old. <laughs> yeah, it's mad. So... Um, I mean, because I got into it at such an early age and it kind of got its got its grip on me at quite an early age, I went into it pretty much straight away after I left school. I was working in the supplement industry and working in health food stores and involved in the industry. And then after a couple of years of that, I went and did my my degree. So I spent I spent nine years as a as a student. Um, but I still I, I still worked in it whilst I was doing that. I was working at a like a private integrated health clinic in um, in central London and doing bits for supplement companies and doing a few media bits here and there. And then, yeah, as soon as I graduated, I started uh, taking bigger leaps and bounds. Excellent. So one of the things I, I love about the work that you do and the, I mean, we've known each other for a while. We've had all sorts of conversations and, and that kind of stuff, not just about nutrition, but, you know, life in general. Yeah. But what I love about your approach is when you, I've, my experience is I speak to people around nutrition and it all gets very scientific very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then you just kind of feel bamboozled and you glaze over and you've just got this art to making, I mean, it's one of your taglines, making healthy eating simple. Yeah. But there must have been a point at which you kind of went like all the science and the rest of it, like this is like no one's ever like we can't keep communicating it this way. We we need to do it differently. Um in all honesty, I've always been a total nerd with it. So I love I love all the science. So I'm sit there talking about metabolic pathways and manipulating fatty acid intake to influence inflammatory pathways and all that kind of stuff until the cows come home. But I I kind of really Broke my broke my media duck, so to speak, on um, BBC Three Counties Radio. I used to do like a, a fortnightly phone in on there, and that really honed that skill of being able to translate often very complex subject matter into small, actionable sound bites within a couple of seconds so that people could understand exactly what they needed to do, how to do it, and actually put the information to use. 
So, you know, when you get listeners phoning in, they've got different issues and all the rest of it, because, I mean, I don't know if you've ever done like radio or TV or whatever, but you spend your entire time being rushed because, you know, they've got to do something else. You know, these these shows, they sit there talking about all of the things that are coming up. And then when it comes to the actual thing to do it, you've got to be hurried up, hurried along because the next thing's coming up. So you always have to kind of do it very, very quickly. So that really refined that skill for me. And because I was forever talking about the subject, forever trying to get people to actually listen for two seconds, I was I was constantly finding ways to to allow the penny to drop for people. So yeah, it's just something that I've honed over the years. Mm. I mean, with the stuff that you've shared, um, I mean, you've had so many different programs, so many different courses and, and things mm. like that that you've created. Um, and for people at, at different levels, people wanting to become nutritionists, people like me that just kind of go, all right, I need to figure this out. I need to do something differently. Yeah. But there are, there are so many options out there. Like for, for someone like me who is um, not interested in the science, just wants to know, right, just Christina, go do this, it'll work. Like how how do people know like what's, you know, it, it's like I – I wanted to feel better. I wanted to wake up in the morning feeling more energized. I wanted to mm-hmm. sleep better at night. But a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. out there is like, you need to lose weight. Here's a diet for you. So how do people it's, know? What in in all honesty, I mean, there, there's always going to be limitations when you're creating material that is going to be delivered on a broad population basis. It's always going to be generic, and it's quite hard to really, really targeted. The only way to get that absolute targeted, properly detailed, structured information for you as an individual is to work with a with a nutrition practitioner. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that can be done often done in a single consultation. In those consultations, you know, when I when I see patients, it's going through the actual you start starting off talking about the 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 primary presenting complaint like the main issues and then just decoding all of their their past medical history lifestyle habits we analyze a diet diary we go into a lot of depth that you just can't do when you're creating mass market products um or or informational items so that's the only way to really get that bespoke result sometimes i'll do um different testing, like different like blood tests or gut tests or saliva tests or whatever. And then we have that unique bespoke picture of you as an individual. And once we're armed with that, that's when we can really tailor a very, very specific dietary protocol, supplement regime, all of these things that will target your unique issues. Of course, I could create a online program for cardiovascular health or for skin health or for hormonal health or whatever. And it would tick a lot of the boxes because there are key issues that absolutely apply to everyone, providing they have the human genome, these things will ring true. But then of course, we've got biochemical individuality as well and sort of unique nuances that are driven by um, our unique genetics. And that's always going to be a limitation of that kind of program. And that's where working with an actual practitioner one-to-one kind of takes it like up a, up a notch. It's interesting you mentioned the blood test because a, um, a friend of mine, probably I want to say like four or five years ago, 
So she had blood tests done and it came back and basically she's intolerant to everything. Ah, now this, yeah, this is a, this is an interesting one. I can tell you now, she's not. Oh, right. well, uh, this is, what, this is the thing. And so I created yes. belief in me that those blood tests are bullshit. Well, it's not, it, early on, there was great big gaping holes in their validity for the simple reason that initially they were measuring something called IgG antibodies, the type of antibody that, yes, absolutely can be part of the intolerance picture. But also, and here's the kicker, IgG antibodies are also manufactured during tolerance. Now, when we eat anything and we we start to digest it and we start to break it down into the individual things that can be absorbed, nutrients, uh, vitamins, minerals, trace elements, phytochemicals, antioxidants, all of the things that we glean from our food, there needs to be a recognition system for the body that can identify, yes, that's something that I need to let in and take up, but no, that's something, I don't know what it is, I haven't got a clue, off your pop. So you imagine it's like door staff on a nightclub, do you know what I mean? It's just like, no, no, you're not on the list, sod off. It's the same principle. And IgG is part of that tolerance process. It's part of tolerance and it's part of intolerance. So people that, that were getting these results from just measuring IgG antibodies were suddenly seeing a long list of foods and they're like, how in the name of holy hell am I allergic to something that I've not eaten for 25 years? And that's why, because they had, they basically developed these IgG antibodies that was part of their natural tolerance. They could eat that food happily and the body would be able to recognize it. It's like, okay, so there's elements of shiitake mushroom there. That, that can come in. I know what that is. So the blood tests have, particularly with intolerance testing, they have moved on a little bit now, which is a good thing. But then there's, you know, there's other ways of measuring intolerance. To be honest, the most accurate way and the the way that I always use as my first port of call in practice is just a simple exclusion and reintroduction diet. So if you, because most people have got a bit of an idea, it's just like, well, every time I eat sweet corn, I'm doubled over in pain. Okay, possibly something going on there. So what we do, we avoid that food for eight weeks and then you reintroduce it. If you, when you reintroduce it, there's no issue. You know, it's just, you probably had some issues with your microbiome or whatever. Or if all of a sudden you get these symptoms from hell and, you know, you feel like you're, you know, you're, you're about to die, then you know that it's probably the issue. I mean, obviously I'm being facetious here, but it's, it's that principle that tells you more than most of these blood tests will. If you really can't get the bottom to the bottom of it, then I always refer on, I will refer them to a clinical immunologist that has access to far more diagnostic tools than I would have in practice. And then once they've got their results, then they can come back and it's right. Okay. We know what we're working with here. And yeah, so, so there, there is a huge variation in accuracy with certain types of testing, like certain nutrients, for example, blood tests are a waste of time. So things like magnesium, for example, or even calcium, you can't tell that much from blood. But then if you do things like hair mineral analysis or you know, different types of testing, you can get a better picture. So everything has its uh, strengths and weaknesses. 
I think that the blood testing as well is is become quite commercialized. I've quite often seen yes. like you know Facebook ads for you know send off your box and it'll arrive in the post and you can send it back to them. Some of those are actually pretty good. Um, like one, two, three, and me. Like no affiliation with them, by the way. Uh, with those kind of things, they are very, very good because the people that do that commercial testing are the same people that have developed the practitioner tests. So when it's something like that, and normally the price tag will give you an idea of whether it's going to be pony or not. If it's like three ninety nine for one hundred and fifty thousand genetic snips tested, then probably not worth the box it comes in. But it, you know, when you're looking at like a few hundred quid, then you know that it's going to be a, a better quality, and it's going to be done by one of those laboratories. Generally, do you think people are willing to invest in their health when it comes to nutrition? Yes, massively, it- massively. It's it, it's it's insane the the desire for clarity. And this, when you when you say that people are willing to invest, that's what they're willing to invest for. They are people that are very health conscious are very very discerning. They're not just going to buy any old crap, but they can see through all of these, uh, all of the snake oil that was around in in the the late nineties and the early noughties. Those days are gone, but they do understand that there is a very very strong evidence base for nutrition as an intervention, as a therapeutic tool, as a key part of their own wellness journey. That's crystal clear. So where the investment is, people are looking for individuals that have like the qualification to actually guide them in the right direction the breadth of knowledge the experience and the right vehicle to actually help them achieve that change so if those boxes are ticked then you yeah you would be surprised and people put it as a, a higher priority to many things because without health what you got i want to talk a little bit about um little switches that people make Okay, so I, towards the end of last year, sort of my my situation at home changed and all of a sudden, like the only people I needed to, the only person I needed to feed was me. So it was brilliant. I could just eat whatever I wanted to eat. I didn't need to take anyone else into account. I didn't need to fall into anyone else's eating patterns and things like that. And so, um, like, I love smoked mackerel. Absolutely love smoked mackerel. Nice bit of black pepper on there. Lovely. Amazing. Right. So it was, I remember the first week I was on my own, I literally, all I ate was smoked mackerel and olives. Like every, like every night. Nice, but you were glowing. Well, this is, this is the thing, is it? So you, you kind of hear this, like you must eat oily fish and you must eat this and you must eat, and you think like, yeah, whatever, until you actually do it. Um, One of the things as well, I'd been, um, I was out at a meeting and a friend and I, um, it was like lunchtime. I went to get some air. We're in London. Went into Joe the Juice, which I've never been into before. And I had this drink and it had loads of turmeric and ginger in it. And it was amazing. Just like the, the flavor of it was like phenomenal. So I started having turmeric and ginger shots every morning. And I'm not a breakfast person. Right. And it's like all of a sudden, like I'm not on a diet, I'm not doing any exercise. My life is, I'm just living life and you know me, 100 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, like the weight is just dropping off. And like, I feel like I've lost a crazy amount of weight in mm-hmm. a short period of time, almost an unhealthy amount of weight given the time period that I dropped it. Uh, well, not necessarily. Uh, that's that's it. I mean, if if you've made like a big shift in your diet, and and it's and it's just like. What you're telling me that you've gone from not fueling yourself properly to fueling yourself properly, and all of a sudden your body's responded well. 
heaven forbid, who would have seen that one coming? It's, you know, you're just kind of adjusted. It's, and as long as you're not following any kind of ridiculous diet where you're, you're cutting out huge amounts of everything, and you're just making better choices and your body's responding, you're just getting back to your set point. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But what is it that these things do? So like the like the turmeric, the uh, ginger, like like I'm I'm literally drinking turmeric tea right now. Well, turmeric's got uh, got a very um, potent anti-inflammatory activity to it. So the actual colour pigments that give it that vivid orange colour, the, the thing that stains everything that it comes into contact with, that's a group of chemicals called curcuminoids, and. <laughs> Right, so so you said about things getting sciencey. I hope, you, I hope you're ready for this. Strap yourself in. So so one of the one of the key regulators of the inflammatory response in the body is a group of compounds called prostaglandins. Now prostaglandins, we've got three types of prostaglandin: series one, series two, series three. Series one has a gentle anti-inflammatory activity. Series two is really aggressively pro-inflammatory, so it switches inflammation on and drives and fans that inflammatory flame. And then we've got the series three prostaglandin that's very powerfully anti-inflammatory, so pulls it right down. In turmeric, so turmeric, those particular compounds, the curcuminoids in turmeric, actually interrupt the production of the series two prostaglandin, which is the prostaglandin that's accelerated inflammation. So that's how it kind of, it works in the same way as a class of drugs called COX-2 inhibitors, because it works on an enzyme called cyclooxygenase 2, which is involved in actually turning something called arachidonic acid into a series 2 prostaglandin. That doesn't matter. The important take-home is that it interrupts that production of something in the body that accelerates inflammation, and it gets in the way, stops it from being manufactured. So it can pull down inflammation that way. But when you combine it with eating those oily fish, oily fish, mackerel, salmon, herrings, all of those kind of things, they're very, very rich in long chain omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA in particular. EPA feeds directly into the metabolic pathway that produces the aggressively anti-inflammatory series 3 prostaglandin. So you've got a double whammy there. You're pushing down the pro-inflammatory series 2 and you're increasing the anti-inflammatory series 3. So your inflammatory load is going to be greatly improved. That's the first thing. Secondly, turmeric, great antioxidant profile, loads of antioxidants in there. Also great for the health of the liver. So it helps to support overall liver health. It has an anti-inflammatory activity and also does work as an anticoagulant. So this is actually an important thing, a word of warning, if anyone's listening that maybe is taking things like warfarin, like the the things that are known as blood thinners, blood thinners I mean, not thin the blood, but those kinds of things, turmeric can actually interact with it and you need to avoid it if you're taking those kind of drugs. But that's just a little snapshot of some of the activity that it, that it has. It's crazy that you think like, what, 50 mil, 60 mil of that. in Ah, now this is an important thing, important distinction. Those little shots and just eating it fresh, culinary doses, that's going to give you the antioxidant activity that give you a tiny, tiny little smidge of the anti-inflammatory activity. But most of the anti-inflammatory activity, in certainly the, the clinical trials that have shown that anti-inflammatory activity, have used very concentrated extracts of 
the curcuminoids, the kind of stuff that you would get in the capsules if you were taking turmeric capsules. That's where you're going to get that kind of activity. But having it in your day-to-day diet, great source of antioxidants. There's loads of vitamin C in there. The, you know, it's a generally healthy ingredient. So the other thing that happened was like I um so you know, we I think we all get to a point where we're like, oh, I'm drinking too much coffee, I need to reduce my caffeine. And really? then I've never I've, I've never experienced such a thing. <laughs> Um, so I saw an advert and we talked about this previously and it was, and again, the sciencey part of it, I just kind of glossed over, um, but like nootropics and basically I Uh saw an ad for, um, space goods for, um, like the, the mushroom caffeine equivalent. I thought I'll give it a go. And honestly, I think like I probably have one cup of coffee every maybe every three weeks as an average because I'm at an event and that's, you know, I need a coffee. I I still need that caffeine kick. But this whole new tropics, like when I say to people, yeah, I've had my mushrooms today, obviously they think I'm talking about a particular kind of mushroom. Well, yeah, it's not like you're laying in the corner, rocking backwards and forwards and screaming at the moon, is it? Do you know what I mean? But I honestly don't know how to explain it. Okay. Well, there's only one mushroom that truly influences cognitive function, and that is lion's mane. And lion's mane um, can stimulate nerve growth factor. So a lot of people have used, or there's been trials with lion's mane extract and neurological damage post-op, for example, or even after injuries. And there's been some quite interesting data there it can it can assist remyelination which is where the fatty outer layer of our of our neurons of our nerve cells called it's called the myelin sheath now normal metabolic activity in the body can break it down and then we respond by rebuilding it it's like a constant maintenance constant battle against normal wear and tear and extracts of lion's mane have been shown to support remyelination which is interesting, and it does seem to enhance cognitive function. Now, some of the other mushrooms like cordyceps and reishi would come in the category of being adaptogens. And adaptogens, there's not really any kind of real scientific term, adaptogen. This is something that's kind of come from the like the herbal medicine community actually originated like it was it was a term that originated in russia but it basically describes categories of herbs or botanicals that can cap the release of cortisol so if you're going through any kind of stress whether that's physical mental emotional whatever you're always going to get that massive cortisol spike cortisol that's the 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 hormone that is released when we're in that fight or flight mode. And it it helps us to escape danger because it floods our body with glucose, but it starts to affect our immune system. It starts to affect our ability to lose weight, starts to affect our blood pressure, triglycerides, all of these things. It can be damaging. Adaptogens help to cap the amount of cortisol that's released during the stress response. Also, adaptogens can enhance sensitivity of glucose receptors so it can actually help us to use glucose more effectively, which gives us that feeling of having a bit more energy. So that's where that energy kick can come from. The main area where where mushrooms really are magic um, 
is the influence they have on the immune system. And that actually, my second dissertation was on um, immunomodulation from mushroom extracts in the context of preventing metastases. And there is 40 years plus clinical data on that. So very, very well established. I'm really glad you said that because it, it is. I'm kind of like, oh, no, 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 it's an adaptogenic. And then I just run away really quickly before they ask me what that means. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, Robert's your mother's brother, as they say. Yeah. I mean, the whole nootropic, it feels like there's like probably the last year, two years, nootropics has, it, there's a trend there. I'll tell you what, I, I was I was taking nootropic products in uh, 2001, 2002, and doing my first degree. Me, me and my mate were experimenting with different nootropics and different different amino acid ratios to try and get this enhanced cognitive function. So it, it's terminology that's been around for a long time. It's a it's a category of nutraceutical that's been around for a long time, but. It's only just started getting on Instagram, and that's why that's why it's all got popular because a few companies have actually been much more mainstream in the way that they've presented it, and all of a sudden, lo and behold, especially, I mean, you know, we've we've got to also see that it's a direct response to the times we're in, because it's fair to say that life in the UK in 2023 can be quite mentally taxing, mm. you know? Uh, I mean, clusterfuck is something that springs to mind, but um, <laughs> also, you know, it's it, it's kind of taxing a lot of people. So people are looking for more ways to improve their cognitive function, improve their resilience to stress, get their energy levels back up to scratch. So it's no surprise that, companies have responded in bringing these things with a great track record to market in that respect. I feel like a lot of the, certainly the products that I've seen, a lot of the branding is kind of, it's cheeky. It's a little bit naughty. It's a... They're just playing on the mushroom thing, which yeah. is which is unfortunate, um, you know, because the, these things have got such a massive evidence base to them, um, especially in the context of immunity. But you know they're just just playing on that, and it's like, well, okay, if it if it gets it gets attention for five minutes, so be it. Mm. You know, I think I feel as well that a lot of the brands are. It's almost like an elitism within it as well. It doesn't feel very um, mainstream. In all honesty, the cost of those kinds of ingredients it could never be mainstream. Okay. Because in order to actually get high quality mushroom extracts, it is very complex how they're actually manufactured. And it's always going to be at a price point where it'll never be mainstream. Unless and let's be honest, again, at the moment, the 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 cost factors that would have made something mainstream five years ago is very different now. Because average disposable incomes have changed so much that you know there's all there's the, the gap is ever widening. So um, yeah, the cost involved in actually manufacturing something like that in an effective way. Yeah, you could get extracts that are cheap as chips, but they're going to be absolutely rubbish. You might as well not bother. Uh, but to actually get things that are very effective and are going to actually deliver what you want them to deliver, then it's going to be pricey. Are there trends that you're seeing that are mainstream at the minute that are, you know, things that people should pay attention to, or perhaps 
they should stay well away from? Not really. Because um, the trends come and go like lightning, particularly on social media. But there, there's certainly patterns that I think we're all seeing at a public health level that we need to get on top of. You know, metabolic health is declining rapidly. What does that mean? In the developed world. So when you like metabolic health, that, that refers to things like one of the one of the most well-known issues is something called metabolic syndrome, which is where you get like a triad or sometimes even a quartet of these like symptoms that are all bolted together that all point to very, very poor metabolic health. So you'll get abdominal obesity. You will get insulin resistance or early stages of type 2 diabetes. You'll get elevated blood pressure and often you'll get elevated blood lipids as well, particularly small dense LDL and triglycerides. And when you've got that pattern, and let's face it, like you look at all the things that are burdening the NHS, I mean, apart from the NHS itself, um, you know, you look at you look at the things that are like truly the biggest issues within the health service. It is obesity, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and many preventable cancers. So that's shining a light on an ever-declining level of um, metabolic health within the population. You look at everything that happened with COVID, like with the, the, the people that actually fared really badly, when you take advanced age and underlying respiratory disease out of the equation, everyone else that was dropping like flies had one or more markers of poor metabolic health. They were obese, they had early stage type 2 diabetes or full-blown type 2 diabetes or their cardiovascular disease, they had these multiple markers of poor metabolic health. So the spotlight's really been shone on it in the last few years, and we can only see it getting worse. When you look at the, the percentage of the population that are in the obese ca- category, when, when I have had children as young as four in my practice that have got type 2 diabetes. Their parents have brought them in and they have got type 2 diabetes and they're in four. And it's like, how has that happened? It's easy how it's happened. We're in a very, very sick environment. We're in an environment where the quality of food is terrible, food availability, particularly, uh, you know, people that are on extreme low incomes. There's so much, you know, even, even the basic skills of preparing a meal, not even a healthy meal, just preparing a meal from scratch is something that is a declining art because it's just more and more as, as, as the generations go along there's less of it being passed down so you, we've we've got multiple things coming at us from all directions that are affecting the overall quality of our diet on a population level and you can see how it's uh how it's affecting people so getting on top of that is probably the biggest priority from a food nutrition point of view i think because oddly there is no greater intervention or no more effective an intervention than diet and lifestyle changes. It's like, sure, drugs can stop you dying straight away, but the thing that really gets you back to health again is the right changes in your diet and lifestyle. And the level of understanding of basic good nutrition is virtually non-existent. And we really found that when we were doing Eat Shop Save with ITV, it's um, it's incredible how little people know about the basics of nutrition because it's just never been a priority at school. All schools want to do is 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 churn out drones for industry. 
you know, the one thing they'll never, never teach you is like, you know, how to look after yourself and how to make more money because neither of those things are working in the favor of the uh, powers that be. But it's no surprise that, that that people have that level of ignorance, especially when you combine that with with the sheer amount of contradiction and fad driven nonsense that gets pumped into these things every single day. People are at a loss, and they need to understand the basics of the framework of a good diet. They need to understand how to prepare just their just their favorite family meals a little bit healthier, making these little tweaks. And that will have an enormous, enormous knock-on effect in so many areas, you know, in terms of like child and developmental health, in obesity, in in the diabetes crisis. It's going to influence so much. And it's such a uh, a simple solution, but putting that solution into practice, there's so many barriers. So I know you've you've got like a whole system behind this and um I think one of your courses is is on this as well, isn't it? But uh, well, yeah, that's that that's that's being rebranded in September as the metabolic fix. Okay. Uh, so it's going to have much more structure in terms of like different challenges and tweaks that people will implement as they work through the program. But yeah, it's just that fundamental framework for putting a good diet together for a lifetime. I do not have diet plans. I do not have like. Oh my, you know, like lose six pounds in six weeks and all of that kind of stuff. That can get in the bin. That doesn't interest me at all. It's just like, I want to teach you how you can eat properly so you can live better for longer. That's it. And it's like, I want to teach you how to do that for a lifetime. I want to give you the tools that you can use. And once you've got this information, got this knowledge, got this understanding, you can be like, I can do that breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I know how to make the right choice when I go out for dinner or if I order from a takeaway, whatever. You can just implement this stuff for life, and it's gonna and it's gonna impact you. Do you know it? So there is this one thing with like living on a budget and trying to make the right choices with the 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 money you've got in your pocket when you're stood in the supermarket. But there is the flip side as well, where you know I'm in and out of hotels away. You presented with this menu, and I'm looking at it and going, "But I don't want chips." And actually, that's like it's that's it's not going to be. Salad. But it's like I get to point. It's like I don't want a soggy wet. I don't want bits of soggy ice. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you're kind of looking at this, and you end up in this cycle of constantly. Um, I am trying to plan much better, one hundred percent, and that is working. But I think you you do end up on this flip side some sometimes, where it's like you're, you're stuck with these hotel menus, and it's like. There's just no variety there. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, in that in that situation, usually I'll probably jump on Deliveroo's if there's anything nearby where I can. If, if there's if there's India nearby, you, you're always golden. Yeah, you can get some dal, get some spinach, get a nice vegetable curry, or uh, like some tandoori chicken with just a couple of vegetable sides sorted. Done, easy. Um, or even, you know what? I've 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 got. I never have any qualms with being that person who's just like. Okay, I'm gonna have the steak. I don't want the chips. Can you just put some extra vegetables with it? Mm. You know, because if you're paying, you can ask for what you want. I mean, I, I know there's not many people in this country that have got the concept of service anymore, but um, <laughs> you know, we can but hope. That's another interview. That's 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 another one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, I, I always ask if I can't get what 
what I want, then I'll usually see what what will deliver locally, or if there's any restaurants around the corner or whatever. And unless you unless you're right out in the middle of Bumblefuck, you can try so you can find something. There's usually always an option somewhere. Yeah, but honestly, I mean, and that's by the way, that's not necessarily saying that people have to be like that. At the end of the day, if it's just now and again that you're in a place like that, it's just like, fuck it, enjoy the chips, enjoy it, love it. I always do sod it Sunday. So in the house, sod it Sunday. That's when there's ungodly amounts of roast potatoes and, you know, like dessert and all that kind of stuff. And do not give a monkeys, but then Monday morning, bam, straight back on it. And that's, that, that's it. It's what you're doing for the most amount of time. So don't put that level of pressure on yourself. But if like us, you're on the road all the time and travel silly amounts, then ask, ask for what you want. Be discerning because if you care enough, uh, but like this is the bad thing. We care enough about like what our business is doing and all the rest of it. Without this working properly and functioning like on all cylinders, what the hell do you think is going to happen to the business? Yeah. So it's, it is, and it's mad. Like my mentor always drummed this into me. And I never really got it until God knows why I never really got it until, you know, especially the, the last 12 months I've been on quite a journey. And um, he's like, listen, every time you're in the gym, you've got to treat it as work. He's like, that is part of your brand. That is an essential part of everything that you're doing. So not only from the, the, the way that you'll be able to perform, but you know, the way that it's going to make you look and feel and all the rest of it, that is part of that self-development process. And I think if you're... Certainly, like you know, thinking of thinking of your audience, if you're wanting to push your performance or your self development into new places, and you don't make fueling yourself one of the absolute properly one of the absolute top priorities, then you're pissing in the wind. Do you know what I mean, it's just like even like even like we were talking about things like cognitive function. You can elevate cognitive ability with nutrition to a. Re- ridiculous ridiculous level if you're doing that and you're doing that inner work and you're doing all of this self-development work you are going to be able to move mountains but if you're feeling like absolutely death warmed up if you're dragging yourself through the day if you can barely remember what you did half an hour ago where do you think that's going to take you you will end up where you're headed it's as simple as that and um you know so if 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 we're trying to make these changes ask for what you want be discerning Make the effort. I know, because it is. It's that adage, is it? How you, how you do anything is how you do everything. 100%. Exactly. Exactly. You know, but it's not to say that, you know, I think all of us can uh, have times where we go off track and, you know, we can lose direction, but just don't stay there. And if you're, if you're making those key positive changes a priority, then give it your all. And even if you are somewhere, ask for something that's maybe not on the menu or ask for a tweak. And if they can't do it, just be like, cheers, I'll finish my glass of water and I'll go somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? I think this is the thing with all of this. It's like once one thing is working for you, it's easier to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Yeah, habit stacking as well. You know, it's a, um, but it's also easier to not do. So you said like, you know, sod it Sunday. I I don't want the glass of wine like I did before because I'm feeling good. And so therefore the call isn't there to the stuff that, you know, I I don't want the Ben and Jerry's. I don't want, it it doesn't. Oh man, Ben and Jerry's fish food. 
but it, it it it's it's really weird. It's almost like it it doesn't. That's true. It's not about cravings either. It's it's the the emotional habitual stuff. Yeah, and it it does it does accelerate. It does make you make different choices. You know, I could I see I couldn't fathom. I couldn't even get my head round ordering like a Mackie D's or something like that. Now at this point, it would just feel like some kind of violation to my innards. It was just I just I just couldn't even comprehend it. And just crappy quality food, I just couldn't, I just couldn't do because I've been doing this so long. It just doesn't enter my my sphere, and I think that's part of what you're saying there. When you when you're when you're developing and when you're when you're seeing amazing results from things, why would you stop doing it? Yeah. But then also, I think a key part of what I was saying there, though, really, is that allow yourself things now and again if you want them because i have been so far the other direction as well where i was almost like orthorexic where i was obsessing over every detail about how healthy the food is and how perfect the diet is and all that kind of stuff which newsflash 30 years in there isn't a perfect diet doesn't exist uh lovely idea but doesn't exist and i think just having that little bit of leeway where like if you're if you're at a family thing and like someone Busts out like a double chocolate fudge cake. Well, yeah, yeah, go on, slap it on, I'll have it. Um, but then Monday morning, bam, straight back into it. So in those also, scenarios where you go for the Ben and Jerry's, you go for the double chocolate, like are people like going, oh, have you seen what Dale's eating? Um, do they expect you to be, because of what you do, expect you to be on point all the time. <laughs> Nobody that knows me is expecting that of me. That's a sure fact. Um not really. No, I think in in a lot of ways it makes it makes people feel a little bit better. That it's not it's not about it's not about judgment and stuff like that. It's like listen, Monday to Friday, and Mon- Monday to Saturday, really, I'm absolutely on it. Now, you know, now I'm sort of back in back in the game, as they say. Um, I'm working working with a, a, a PT four times a week who is absolutely smashing seven bells out of me, but the difference is unbelievable. Um, you know, it's just, it's been quite a transformation. I've been so focused on so many things that I'm able to keep that consistency there. But then I do allow myself one day a week where I'm just not that bothered. Mm. I'm just like, you know what? I mean, if if, if I want to eat like steak and greens and sweet potato, then I will like the rest of the week. But if I'm like, you know what? I could smash a roast. Then I will. It doesn't matter. If it's Monday to Friday, no. I, I literally, I'll meal prep and everything's like, even by, you know, the time that I set my alarm, the time I make my first coffee, it's it's like... Regimental. It's, it's like a drill sergeant, yeah. Because I, I need to work like that because if I don't, I've, I, I've, I have got that, I've got that thing inside of me that loves the vices. Yeah, I've got, I've got that little insatiable thing. And if I don't constantly kick its ass then it will get the better of me. So when I structure things like that, I can absolutely stay on top of everything that I'm wanting to do and wanting to achieve and, and how I'm, you know, how I choose to live. So not everyone has to do that. That's just my own neuroses. But I think it's, this, this is the thing, is it? So we've talked about cognitive, cognitive function, but I think there's almost a, on a neurological level as well, there it's, we've got to have rules. 
we've got to have non-negotiables to protect our protect how we is self-care but I think it's more self-leadership really to kind of say these are the things I'm going to do like it's a non-negotiable I'm mm. going to go to the gym four times this week yeah it's a, it's a non-negotiable I have my uh, minimum two turmeric teas a day you know it, it's that um yeah I, I, and I say I, I have a lot of I probably have too many rules truth be told not just around sort of the the you know, nutrition and physical and, and that kind of stuff, but other things as well. But we should have those rules in that part of our life too. I don't, do you think, because, you know, you, you, you've got an incredibly successful business, would that be there if you were slapdash? No. No. You wouldn't have the well-oiled machine that you've got if you didn't have absolutes, absolute lines in the sand. So, you know, it serves us. It serves us. I think only if we if we become aware that, there's certain things that might be inviting toxic patterns into our life that we need to change and address. If not, I I, I see it as a positive thing. Mm-hmm. I, think I think there's too many too many people that are non-committal. Yeah, in this modern age, I mean, like apathy is you know is the the killer of a million dreams, isn't it? And that's the thing. There's so many people that that want a better life and they want to do incredible things and go to incredible places and have wonderful opportunities. But then, you know, they'll still be sat in, sat in their pants at three o'clock in the afternoon, watching Netflix and eating shit. And it's like, well, those two, those two things don't quite fit together, do they? No alignment at all. Yeah. Just before we finish off, cool. um, I should have asked you if we were allowed to talk about this before. Go for it. I'll I, tell you to bugger off if we don't. Yeah, yeah I know. Um, so the 20th, is it, is it the 20th book or is it the 21st book that you're 20th. working on? 20th. 20th. How much are you allowed to talk about that at this point? Well, it's kind of come to a bit of a standstill anyway. Um, so it, it's, I, I'm, I've got 19 out there and the, the 20th is going to happen, but then someone, someone in the, um, like the acquisitions department changed their mind about something. And I, at this point, I'm always like, well, if it doesn't, if it's not exactly what I want to write, I'm not going to write it for the sake of it. You know, I've done 19 now. I've got nothing to prove to anyone. Um, and yeah, we couldn't quite agree on it. So there's still room in my life for book number 20. Okay. So that's, okay. With your first book, mm-hmm. Did you kind were you like on the same ground as now, or was it like hell or high water? I need to get this out there. When you, when you write at the beginning, it's um, well, this is the weird thing because the book that I always wanted to write didn't actually materialise until it was my third book, and that is that one there. Mm. That's been that's been my biggest seller and my you know the, the the one that changed everything. Um, my first book was a little book called Medicinal Cookery, and I had the vision of what that medicinal chef book is. But the the publishers didn't share the vision, so I was like, "If you don't share the vision, I'm not doing I'm not doing a, a watered down version of it. Let's do something else." Okay. And did something else, and then the second book was the Clear Skin Cookbook, um, which was kind of a bit of a writer passage for me, and you know, it was it was nice. We've done like more up to date versions of that now, and then because those two books were were starting to do quite well, because I'd started to get on the Alan Titchmarsh show on ITV, so I was cooking on TV quite regularly, and that was giving some movement to my books on Amazon. One of the biggest 
literary agents in the UK, Claire Holton, she she was looking at that and she just dropped me an email. She said, do you want to, do you want to talk about doing a proper book? And mm-hmm. I was like, absolutely. And then the publishers completely shared my vision that I had. And I was basically just giving, they were like, do what you want. And we'll make it look incredible. We'll bring it to life, which was the best thing ever. Um, and because that had been in my head for so long, I wrote, I wrote the whole thing in six weeks. Oh, wow. which, was, which was quite cool. And yeah, and it was the, the biggest selling book that I've had. And it was in 19 languages, 18, 19 languages. I've got, got all of those down, down there. Selection of some of those foreign editions. Like it's <laughs> very cool. It's the, shit, it's the whole, the whole really? shelf. Really oh, cool. It's all, it's all falling down now as well. Um, it's an interesting so, thing going through the book writing process. So I, where are we now? Eight months ago, I started writing my book and I gave myself a week to do it. And, <laughs> no, but How I wonderfully did. naive. I, no, I did. So, right, so here's the thing. It was between Christmas and New Year and I was literally on my own. So like Christmas was cancelled and I and no one else, like everyone's doing their family things and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, right, I'm going to sit here being miserable that my kids aren't with me for Christmas um, or I can do something productive with the time. Mm-hmm. So literally morning, noon and night, like all I did was sleep, eat and write. And I got it all done. I got my first draft done. And then I reviewed it and I was like, actually, do you know what? I need one more chapter. So I, I still haven't written the bugger. Are you working with a publisher? Have you got a book deal or is it self-published? Self-published. Different, they're just different worlds. There's not even a comparison, you know, because when, when, you've, when you've got about four different departments, I mean, one, you're under contractual obligation to deliver by a certain point in time. Otherwise you'll be, you know, a lot worse off for it. Um, and you know, by, by book four, I was getting six figure deals for each one. So, you know, you don't, you don't fuck about when it comes to things like that. You've got, you know, you've got the, um, so for me, there was like the, the home X chucking questions through, we've got the main editor. Then there's, then there's like the, um, executive editor doing stuff. Then, then we're trying to actually go and fit things around the shoots and you haven't, and when you look at the direction that that the art and the, the design is going, you have to tweak certain things. So it matches and things line up and it's, it's mad. Yeah. It's absolutely mad. So in some ways, but this is, this is the cool thing in some ways you've got that luxury that you don't have to deal with all of that. But for someone like me, when there's someone behind there kind of banging me on the end with a stick saying, what's going on, what's going on. I are much more, Productive sometimes, and especially with with a with a because if it's if it's just doing tasks, I can do tasks until the cows come home. But when it's a creative process, I mean, every writer knows this. Like some days, you can sit there and you could you can write four chapters of brilliance. Other days, you sit there and think, "Oh look, murder she wrote," or "Did I wash the towels?" And you know, it's just you know, it's it's that kind of stuff. But when when you've got I mean, when you're under contractual oblig- obligation to deliver a certain draft of a manuscript by a certain date, you do it or you don't get paid. Mm. Um, and then when, you, when, you, when you're talking to so many different departments and orchestrating you know, a, a much bigger animal, it keeps, you, it keeps you much more focused, I think. Plus, 
it doesn't it doesn't help to have an external pair of eyes looking at what you're doing because they can see because because you get so involved in I mean with everything that I do this creative process you get so involved in the minutiae of that creative process that sometimes you miss the woods because you're looking at the fucking trees. I do that all the time. I'm always guilty of that. So when when you have an editor that's able to look at that bigger picture and you know look at it as an entire concept rather than just the the, the three days you've spent sort of changing a lot of the wording of of you know the first paragraph, it it, it helps to bring things together. And you, in, in exactly that situation, do you feel like you're giving part of yourself away? Not really. I feel I feel like I'm I'm. I feel like I'm putting something positive out into the world. Mm. I think I'm, I'm helping instigate change. I'm really looking at my mindset around it. I'm like, what? the problem isn't that I haven't written. The problem isn't that I haven't finished it. The problem is why haven't I finished it? And I'm really trying to get to the source of that because unless I do, it just won't go anywhere. It's a, Interesting. It's a, That's it's, what I mean. When, when you've got, you got someone shouting at you saying, where's the fucking manuscript? Yeah. then um, that helps. That helps to motivate you. When when you know that there's like, you know, 50 grand waiting for you, they're like, look, we can press the button, but not until that arrives in my <laughs> inbox, fucker. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's incredible how much of a motivator that can be. Yeah. yeah. So all of a suddenly I've been struck with inspiration. Do you know, I kind of decided, so I'm, I'm not, anyone that's written a book, pub, like, I want to say properly published or self-published. I don't mean it that this is part of what's wrong, I think. Well, but it, don't want to be biased. But you know, <laughs> it's that when people are like, I'm an international bestseller in 15 countries and it's because you sold 35 copies and it was just such an obscure category. And it's like, I've seen so many people. That, one, the system. that one did 450,000 in the UK alone. Exactly. This is why. But I'm... to be fair, the, the, the PR we did on that was ridiculous. I mean, in within the within the same week, it was on this morning, Lorraine, uh, Steve Wright in the afternoon on Radio Two, and um, yeah, a couple of other radio things. Then the following week, there was you know there was um, extracts in the in in the Telegraph with like little pullout things. They they went mad over it. Um, can't say that all of them of followed that trajectory but that's life that's you know it's like with uh, musicians they have like the second album syndrome um although the second you know the second well which is actually the fourth book but the the second one in that medicinal chef series did pretty close to that as well and then you know you see fluctuations peaks and troughs um but it's yeah i mean even if even if they've done 30 like someone's done thirty thousand, that's bloody amazing mm-hmm. there's not many books that do that even with big publishers this is a this is the thing, isn't it? And and I think it is a I want I want to have a proper book, a properly published book. Where you know you you walk into the bookshop and it's there on the shelf. Um, why do I want to do that? Yeah, self publishing as well. Sorry, you could do that with self publishing as well. You just need to get with the distributors and yeah, all that, but yeah, but it is it is a and like talking to so many people, it's it's the third book that does it. The third book, it, yeah. I've heard that from a lot of people. It's like, actually, it's their third, like the first two books, they were like, they were okay. It's the third book that does it. Um, fiction and not That was the third book. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, mad. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I've got to get, 
I've got to get two out the way to write the one I want to write. Why? If you're self-published? Because this is what I'm hearing. It's book three. Well, is fuck what you're hearing. What's, what's the reality? Just write what you want to write. Yeah. And, and, yeah. <laughs> For some people, that's not the case. For some people, their first, their first book goes batshit. You know, people like Joe Wicks, they had a massive audience, massive platform. It's, you know, it, it's not necessarily the case. You know, this is my podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. This is, this, is like, this is what happens when we're talking. So we kind of get so far, and then one of us just starts like going at the other one, <laughs> calling well, them out, calling them out. Well, no, no, no. I'm just I'm, I'm only saying that because I'm in the position to be able to say it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Nineteen books in seven Sunday Times bestsellers. It's like you know I know a little bit about it. Yeah. And um, you know also know the the stuff people spout sometimes. So I wouldn't pay too much attention. Just do the thing that you're really wanting to write. Otherwise, what is the point? I love that. Okay. I'm going to draw it to a close here. Um, well, I've got to go to London, yes. Yeah, so I've uh, yeah. been invited along to some um, some restaurant opening, which is very, very nice this evening. So Lovely, lovely. Perks of the job. Excellent. So anyone wanting to catch up? I mean, to be honest, you just Google Dale Pinnock. They're going to find you. Um, yeah. But is there anywhere in particular you'd, you'd like to direct people to? Um, Instagram, it's The Medicinal Chef. YouTube, um, Dale Pinnock Nutrition. And obviously the main website, dalepinnock.com. Amazing. Amazing. Dale, thank you so much. I know it took us ages to get this schedule <laughs> and other stuff. Oh no, it's just manic, um, constantly manic. But yeah, loads, loads and loads of value in here. So um, this is definitely one that I'll be listening back to as well, which I nice. don't always. Yeah, um, I probably shouldn't admit that either. But no, thank you, lovely. Appreciate you. <laughs>